Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. I love the Gospel of John, and I love the books, First and Second and Third John. It is just amazing what God has left behind for us. First of all, um, yes, this is Mother's Day. If you're watching on the day, this is actually done. But you need to know a couple of things that um, I always think of, and that is I had a great mom, and my wife has been a great mom for our kids some of you out there really dread this day, and I hear from you, and I understand, I understand what you're saying, although I'll never be able to feel your pain. Some people wanted to be moms and aren't uh, due to fertility issues, not finding a partner, or having miscarriages. Um, some of them were mothers and lost their children to disease or war, and I know that this is a very, very painful day for you. But this is a place where we can celebrate the love of mothers, but we can also remember those of you in pain on such a day. And you are all welcome here. I do not preach holiday sermons. Uh, if you're thinking, what about Christmas? That's uh, the Advent. I'm not, I'm not really excited about preaching a special sermon. It is about preaching the coming of Christ. So I don't do topical sermons like this. So this isn't a Mom's Day sermon. So if you were worried about that, cool. If you wanted it to be, you can probably still make it to church uh, down the block. You know, it just, you have options. And by the way, we have noticed um, on holidays like Easter and Mother's Day and the like, our viewership dips a bit. And I understand that. It's because when Mama's coming into town, you don't want her to know you've been on your couch. So that's all right. That's fine. You can always dip in here. As we've always said, we're not in competition with anyone. We're just pushing out Christ. This week, um, a lot of miles, and I got to see five different groups of you in four different states, and it was so much fun. Uh, I was tired when I got back, and so tired I didn't do the math right. I said I'd driven, I think on Facebook, 2,700 miles. It was 2,200 miles. So Patrick blew the math, but still in, in one week, a lot of fun. We've not yet gone to our, our top two check-in states, which is Texas and which are Texas and Florida. So we got to start working on that, but I can't come see you if I don't know where you are and just checking in doesn't do it. You need to let us know your address. Don't put that in the comments or everybody in the world has it. You can send it to info at oursafeharbor.com. There, today we're doing part two of the evidence for Christ. And nothing really big heavy here, but it's important we eat this elephant one bite at a time. And then next week, a third on this. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about a world without Christ. We're going to just talk about what that would look like and what it may look like now. Jesus was concerned about this. In Luke 18 and verse 8, he said something very chilling. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? 
Right now, that's an open question. It's an open question because the rise of atheism is staggering. It came out of nowhere. In the history of the United States, it, there's, there had always been a buffer, a little number, around 10%, sometimes growing closer to 15 16%, sometimes dipping down to 7% of atheists, self-described atheists in our nation. And yet, while that number has now grown well into the deep 30 percentile just in the last 30 years, we've also seen a, lot, a loss of faith in those who have faith. When you ask people, do you believe that Jesus lived, that he died on the cross, and that he was resurrected, up until very recently, just the last few decades, 80 plus percent of Americans said yes. Today, in 30 years, it's dropped just below 50%. We are losing the assumption that people believe in a God and believe in righteousness. Now, what does that do? There's a roll-on effect, and we'll talk more about that in two weeks. But charities aren't being funded. People are not helping their neighbors as they should. Because if there is no underlying reality of morality and a standard, then why? And we'll get into that. Isaiah saw this problem coming far off. It's a great chapter, um, chapter 59. But I'll just do verses 14. Um, well, yeah, 14 and 15. I'll limit it to that. So justice is driven back. And righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets and honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes prey. That last phrase is about as 2023 a phrase as one could make. This week, as I visited these different places and all but one, I either had people come up to me in the meetings and say they were struggling to keep their faith, or they talked to me about husbands or sons. I don't know that I heard about a daughter who has, or has lost or is losing their faith. It is not to be. It's not a surprise. Whenever you look at the gestalt of our human situation. Uh, however, there are things we could do we got to start laying the foundation for faith all over again. We've had moments like this, but not to this degree before. I can remember not that long ago, there was a movie called Zeitgeist that came out, and I must have gotten that in my inbox over 100 times. Well, this just blows faith away. Have you seen this? This proves everything is wrong. How often I hear that, and I get the emails and I get the uh, Instagram post and the Facebook post and all over the people will say, have you read this? What does that do to you? You know, the faith is gone. So we're going to talk about that. Two popular books have been quoted to me extensively over the last year and a half. And the message that they both have is that Jesus is a myth and he never existed. And those books reach people. Because we've not taught our last few generations how to think 
And what is the difference? How to differentiate between assertions and arguments? Right? So you could look at Patrick and you could say, um, Patrick, you're past your prime. That's an assertion. If you start saying, Patrick, here are the reasons I'm saying that you're building an argument. And then I can either, at any point in the process, say, that particular attestation is untrue. Here's my other evidence. But the world doesn't know how to argue now. You might think that's all you hear when you look at the news channels. No, you're not hearing an argument. You're hearing assertions thrown back and forth across the table, but not an argument. And because we've not taught our kids how to differentiate, they are swallowing whatever the last person in the room says. And we need to be able to teach them this. By the way, did you realize that at the beginning of the last century, the most Christian nation when it comes to percentage of population and raw numbers was China. One generation. And it went to an atheist. One generation. And kids were turning in their parents and helping to stand on a firing squad because their parents were not pure communist and their parents were believers. The song... Jesus Loves Me was the favorite hymn of China until one generation. I'm old enough to where, as a very young boy, I heard older Chinese people talk, saying all the same thing. We didn't teach our kids. We assumed they believed what we believed. We assumed, so we didn't teach. I'll never forget, and this was back in the... Um, the late 1990s, a young lady came into my office at the church building. She was a member. Um, didn't come that often, but she was a member. And her, her mama was a member. And she came to talk to me about problems she was having with her live-in boyfriend who was not treating her with respect. And there had been borderline, you know, like we're coming up to the edge of violence. And as we were talking to her and trying to help her find a place to be safe... We certainly wouldn't want her to be harmed in any way. I said, are, are you aware that God's plan is for you to get to know each other and work with each other and spend time with each other before you have sex with each other? And she looked at me. She was in her late 20s, and this is in 1996 or 7. She said, really? She'd been coming to church. Everybody assumed she'd been taught. We can no longer assume. Assertions are statements of fact or things we assume to be fact or, sadly, things we just want to be fact. I know how to do that because I play golf. And we can be out on the golf course and it can be pouring rain and lightning, kill 15 people, and we will look up and say, I think it's clearing up. That's an assertion. It's, it's a faulty one. You can't build an argument with it, uh, but I know what an assertion is, such as we're number one, when very often the game has proven you're not, or my kids are the best kids in the world, when the police might have a different take, or more problematical, my opinions are valid and people who do not agree with my politics are evil. I mean, that's where we are right now. 
We used to be able to say, if you don't agree with my politics, we can argue that out, but we'll still have, be friends. Now, you don't agree with my politics, my sexuality, my view of gender, or whatever, then you are evil and must be destroyed. See, those are not arguments. But in churches, you hear it too. People who do not agree with my theology are rebelling against God. All my life, I heard that kind of thing from people who said, you know those other churches out there? They just don't believe the Bible. Well, that's the difference between us and them. Have you heard that one? Yeah. Arguments are different. They marshal evidence, and they walk you through it. Think about building Legos. Every mom out there knows Legos. That's what you find in the dark. Um, and you build a Lego, you have to do it one step at a time. And if you've ever helped children do Legos, you know that if they miss one step, hmm, Everything goes off, and you've got to undo it and find. That's what an argument is. It builds your case like a Lego wall. Every step of the way, you're offered a chance to challenge any statement or assumption. Modern arguments against Jesus and against his divinity are not arguments. I've read the books, and boy, do I get them quoted to me in emails. If ever... If ever you want proof that we live in a fallen world, just come and read my emails sometimes. They're assertions. They're not building anything. They're just stating what they want to be fact as if it, was fa as if it, it were factual. Most people respond to that because it's in a book. It's on the internet. It looks real to them. While the COVID crisis has put some cracks in our, uh, our immediate obeisance, our, our, our bowing down before authority figures. The fact is, most people respond to a veneer of authority. If somebody walks in, well, if they want to do commercials for a vitamin or for a new product that does something, they'll put somebody in a white coat. Why do they do that? Because people still respond to the veneer of authority. Even though I've looked up a lot of the folk that are pushing the products and find out they're not an MD or a DO. They're not a doctor of physical therapy or any of that. They're either an actor or they're a doctor in a field which is not that field. And which always, it's fine. You know, I love physics, but I'm not a physicist. So I'm not going to put on a coat and offer you a home physics. That doesn't work. Moving on. So, as we brought up last week, let's look at, at some of the assertions that are made. Next week, we're going to pull something out of a hat. Something most of you have never heard. And that is, we have evidence from the first century. Really good evidence. The kind of evidence you don't get, we have. But today... Let's look at the assertions, because you need to know this. Mark this one. Mark this lesson last week, next week, because you are going to be told some things as fact, and it'd be nice to know they aren't factual, all right? There is a book published just a, a few years ago called The Christ Conspiracy, subtitled The Greatest Story Ever Sold. It was written under a nom de plume, which should give us a warning. If you're not going to put your real name on something, 
and show your qualifications, maybe we shouldn't take you very, very seriously. But they claim they did so in the book because Christians would be violent against them. Because all, I guess, all those Presbyterians that are blowing up buildings. I, again, it's an assertion with no evidence. Interestingly enough, you need to know this. If you quoted anything by Akara, no scholar has written a review of the book with anything positive to say. Not a one. But you don't get that. What you get if you go to Amazon very often is they manufacture and send the bots out to put five-star reviews. And it looks like, well, this must be great then. In fact, the, that particular book has so many wild assertions in it that I wrongly assumed when I first read it that it was, um, it was satire. It was to show the, the idiocy or the bankruptcy of those that claim Jesus did not exist. No, sadly, that's not. People take it seriously, and they, they quote it just, remember, like the Da Vinci Code. They would quote that to me, and they quote it as definitive proof because it's in this book. Isn't that strange? Let's look at some of the assertions. Quote, the second century church father, Justin, never quotes or mentions any of the Gospels. End of quote. Except he does. A lot. He quotes extensively from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Doesn't quote from John, but John's later. It's a later gospel. Here's another one. Quote, the gospels were forged hundreds of years after the events they narrate. End of quote. Except that we have manuscripts that start in the 90s. So not hundreds of years. They actually have books that, we, that were written within 60 years of the life of Jesus, still existing. Now that's pretty amazing, and how you would miss that, to me it would have to be intentional. The, 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 there, this is not controversial in any way, that we have scraps of gospels, and we have scraps, and I'll talk about why they're scraps, um, of gospels, we have uh, scraps of Pauline letters, we have scraps of and they, dating from the 90s. This is known. The problem is it isn't known to those who are just trolling through the internet, looking and what pops up. We all know what Google searches are like, right? Amazon's the same way. You can put in the book you like, and the first 10 that come up aren't that book, and there'll be a little thing sponsored. In other words, we're, we know what you're looking for, but we want to push this one. Hmm. Always be careful about that. Always check. Always look. Another quote. We have no manuscript of the New Testament that dates prior to the 4th century. No, we do. You can go look at them. They are on display. They're not hidden in the closet. Here's another one. This one is, is hilarious. Quote. The autographs, that means the original book written by the person. The autographs were destroyed after the Council of Nicaea. End of quote. What? That surely would have made the news. Somebody would have written that down. But it didn't. Now here's why we don't have the originals. And we do not have the original. We do not have any single original or autograph. Uh, we don't have anybody signed it at the end. This is me, Moses. The reason 
they're worn out they're on papyrus that's why you copy them because they wear out they tear up in the desert heat they last and the dryness they last longer than they would over here but they still wore out they wore out long before Nicaea by the time Nicaea came there weren't any autographs left so it would have been hard to burn things they didn't have Here's another quote. It took well over a thousand years to canonize the New Testament and many councils were needed to decide which books were inspired and which ones were spurious. End of quote. Not true. Earliest list of the canon of scripture comes from Alexandria in 367 AD. Many councils. That, that's just made up. We didn't have many councils. There were just a few. Again, now you know that, but did you know that before? And had you heard these sentences, would that have bothered you? I think it would have. And where are you going to look? Because the competing stuff comes out there. What you need to know is not a scholar on the planet agrees with anything you've just heard this, this writer say. Here's another quote. Paul never quotes a saying of Jesus, end of quote. Yes, he does. We'll get to that later. Uh, we're going to be going through that mainly next week. Then another quote, the Acts of Pilate. All right, that's a book that we don't have. But a couple writings refer to it. It comes late and nobody believes Pilate wrote it. It was a spurious, a made-up book that came hundreds of years later. All right, back to the quote. The Acts of Pilate, a legendary account of Jesus's trial and execution was once considered canonical. In other words, as part of the Bible. Nope. Never. In any list, any history, ever. In fact, it is so little mentioned and it never appears in any list that it is, you, you can't study anything about the Acts of Pilate and get a master's degree. There's not enough there. That should tell you something. Or how about this one? This was really weird. The true meaning of the word gospel is God's spell, S-P-E-L-L, as in magic, hypnosis, and delusion. End of quote and beginning of medication. Seriously. Seriously. The word gospel comes from Old English. It comes from God's spell. Spell, S-P-E-L. And God's spell means, drum roll please, good news. Which is a literal translation of the Greek term. Good news, evangelon. Qu quote, the church father Irenaeus was a Gnostic, end of quote. Not true. Uh, he, in fact, wrote the first books against Gnosticism. How did you miss those? Quote, Augustine was originally a Mandean, a Gnostic, until after the Council of Nicaea. Quote, Augustine wasn't born until nearly 20 years after the Council of Nicaea. So it would have been hard for him to have gone there as a Gnostic. Math's fun. I got one wrong. I told you about the mileage. But mileage, that's one thing. This is insane. Now, by the way, it's not the only book. Others, people who claim scholarship credentials, Timothy Freak, and, and I know that sounds like I'm making fun of him. It's F-R-E-K-E, Freak. I would have changed my name, but Pete, you know, it's up to you. Uh, Timothy Freak and Peter Gandhi published, this is very recently, The Jesus Mysteries, subtitle. Uh, 
Was the original Jesus a pagan god? I'm going to tell you it's very hard to counter the points made in this book because there aren't any. There are no arguments in the book. It is merely fiction. It's merely wild assertion with nothing to back it up. Very, very thin bibliographies on these books, by the way. If you open a book and there aren't a lot of listings in the bibliography, always watch out. One of my favorite Christian writers is Gregory Boyd. And you might be put off if you see one of his books, like God at War, looks that thick. Well, the reason is, at least a fourth of that book is bibliography. When I see that, I'm going, all right, I know somebody's going to be building a Lego wall here, and I can follow along. Well, they say that Jesus was one of a line of pagan gods who were really the same god with different names. Osiris, Dionysus, Attis, Adonis, Bacchus, Mithras, etc., and they claim, now this is, I get this in my email from so many people as a aha, I got you, Patrick. They assert, they, they assert that all of these had a father who was a god, a mother who was a virgin, were born in a cave on December 25th before three shepherds, are you seeing an issue? Turned water into wine, rode into town on a donkey, were crucified at Easter, and rose again, except they didn't. Not a one of those has any of those in their biography. Dionysus, Addis, Adonis, back, not a one has any of these in their biography. And by the way, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th in a cave in front of three shepherds either. That one, you didn't go to vacation Bible school, or you would have gotten that one. By the way, uh, it has been quoted to me last December and last Easter through Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Reddit. People think they got to got you here. We need to know that's what we're facing. Before I can tell you to be faithful to your wife, to love your children, to refuse violence, before I can convince you that we must open our wallets, our, our stuff for the poor, before I can do I got to tell you why. And if there is no God and no standard of right and wrong except whatever you want it to be, we're on shaky ground. Let's look at... No, I want to do it. <laughs> I was looking at another quote, and I'm just going, it's just too stupid. Um, and, I, and I don't use... By the way, I've had people say that we're not allowed to call things stupid. Yeah, you are. Jesus talked about ignorant and unlearned people. Don't try to out-Christian Christ. Don't try to be nicer than Jesus. And there are some times when I read like Matthew 24 and I'm thinking there'd been some Christians today that would be going, Jesus, be Christian. Sometimes we need to know that love often has an edge. Love is a combination, we know this with mamas, of velvet and steel. My mama loved us, but she also had an edge. <laughs> And if we were on the wrong side of the path, all of a sudden, that tiny little Irish woman became 18 feet tall. So, remember that. Anyway, here's a quote. Jerusalem Christians had always been Gnostics. Right now, every scholar is screaming at the TV. Because in the first century, the Christian community was made up entirely of different types of Gnosticism, except, end of quote, except the fact that Gnosticism was completely unknown in Jerusalem and did not really arise until the second century. 
How, how do you get this wrong without getting it wrong on purpose? And by the way, these aren't the only books. Um, Holy Blood and Holy Grail, that one took off like crazy and it's had three follow-up books. Here's a quote. Constantine made Christianity the state religion of the empire, end of quote. Here's a problem. Most Christians believe that. No, Constantine made Christianity legal. And then he required that it become standardized. It wasn't the state religion until the end of the 4th century under the emperor Theodorus, Theodosius. So, once again, wrong. Um, they will claim that Christianity is nothing more than just another version of a mystery religion, except that there are no mystery religions that have anything to do with baptism and the like. None. Here's another... This, this is weird, but people like conspiracy theories, right? QAnon's a thing. People love conspiracy theories. People still think that you know, UFOs killed JFK or something, that we didn't go to the moon. People love conspiracy theories because it makes them feel special. They have inside knowledge. You know, they're smarter than those sheeple out there. Problem is with conspiracy theories, please remember this. You, you have to have people who shut up to have a conspiracy theory, and we've not found a human being that can do that very long. If you tell the secret to one other person, it is no longer secret, period. It's only safe if the only people you tell it to are dead. Other than that, you've, it, it, it's... All right, moving on. Uh, here it is, ready? Hold, you have aspirin? Quote, the gospel writers deliberately constructed the name Jesus to make an artificial and forced transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua so that it expresses the symbolically significant number of 888. End of quote. Uh, I'd like to apologize for taking the last 30 seconds of your life and giving you nothing of value. The gospel writers didn't construct the name. It was the most common name in first century Judaism. It's the same name as Joshua. It's the same name as Joseph. Yeshua. Jesus. They claim in the books. Romans kept great records. And there's no mention. Of Jesus being tried by Pontius Pilate. Or executed. It's not true. Actually the Romans were about the worst record keepers in the world. You want good record keepers. You need the Medes. No relation. And the Persians. Uh, that later just became the Persians. Um, they wrote down everything and we have it and it's dead boring. It absolutely is. There are whole warehouses, many times the size of this soundstage, stacked full of untranslated Persian stuff because it's all the same boring stuff. It's all prayers to gods and who owed who a cow. That's it. But the Romans... There are no birth records, trial records, death records, nothing. In fact, Romans kept so few records that everything we know about Pontius Pilate comes from a Jewish historian named Josephus and the Jewish writers of Scripture. Romans, yeah, he was a governor. They didn't care. They didn't keep records. And I'm going to stop here. But scholars do not. They, they try to push back on this, but you know what? What, I don't even know who was who said it at first, but you know, um, you know, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth puts on its trousers in the morning. It's what happens. 
Remember at every mass shooting, what happens first? We get every fact wrong. And it's repeated endlessly. And then somebody will tweet something and it will get 300,000 quotes retweeting. And then when they have to retract it, it almost is not retweeted at all. It's already out there. We have to be the people of truth that deal with truth and reality and who know what our neighbors are hearing and seeing. I believe the evidence says a very enthusiastic yes to Jesus did exist and Jesus is divine. Next week, we're going to show you how and why or start that. But let's close on a positive note. There was a historian named Pliny who had a son, also a historian. And they, were, they are named by historians very creatively, Pliny the Elder and Pliny the Younger. Both of them were known for getting first-hand accounts. Pliny the Elder, in fact, died getting a first-hand account because the ship he was on, he kept saying, get closer to get a first-hand account of the eruption of Pompeii, of Mount Vesuvius at Pompeii. He got really close, and that killed him. But Pliny the Younger wrote to the emperor, and we have it, about the unintended consequences of a new law forbidding groups gathering together. You may not be aware of this. There are still countries where you have to have permission to have more than three, five, ten, or whatever people gather for any reason. The Romans had this. You, uh, you cannot gather. Uh, because it, it was an anti-sedition thing. They didn't want people gathering, we're going to kill the emperor. But Pliny the Younger said, um, this law also keeps fire brigades from getting together to fight fires. You might want to adjust this. And he did ask in his letter that we still have how to deal with that issue. And he mentioned that some groups do gather and they are bad people and they must be stopped. One of them he referred to as followers of Christ. It's very important. He didn't say Jesus. He used the divine title. Already by his time, groups were gathering and worshiping Christ as divine. He says they include people from all groups. So we call it all socioeconomic groups. That they ate meals of, together of common food. But he was afraid they were practicing cannibalism because they talked about eating blood and flesh. Fully blown worship of a fully blown Christ within a few years of the death of Jesus. And we have a letter testifying to it. He even says, quote, they sing hymns to Christ as to a God. Wow. Jesus is already known by that name in the first century as the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And that's just the first of all the evidences we're going to look at next week and then talk about the ramifications of this. But I want to bring up an illustration I've used before as a close. Imagine yourself in a boat. Not a cruise ship or the like, but a, a rowboat, let's say. And you're out on maybe perhaps one of, the, one of the great lakes so that you don't even see shore. You're out there. It's a placid day. When all of a sudden a wave comes, this is not a killer wave. This isn't a 40-foot wave, but it's a sizable wave, 8, 9, 10 feet. And as it comes, it really rocks the boat. Well, where did that come from? That's a great science question. It is. Could it have come from an under, underwater earthquake? 
that absolutely could do that. Or an earthquake on the land? Yeah. Could it have come from a microburst of weather just out of sight? Yes. How about a passing whale? Might have done. How about a goldfish? Nope. Whatever evidence you come up with must be sufficient for the phenomena. 2,000 years later, can you show me anyone who's worshiping Osiris, Dionysus, Bacchus, Addis, Adonis? Can you show me anybody worshiping the mystery religions? And before you say, oh yeah, there's some witches there. Every witch book was made up. Started with the golden bow. English people got bored and they made, made it up. Nothing's there that's ancient. Nothing. And yet here on Sunday morning, we gather and we took the bread. We took the cup. And we're faithful to our partners. And we show love. And all of us around the world open our wallets to feed the poor. We open our hearts to love the poor and to love the others, those who don't love us back. You'll you be able to know us because Jesus said, you'll know they're Christians. You'll, they'll know you're mine by your love one for another. Why would they do that? That's stupid. If there is no God, you should keep your money and your power and do unto others before they do unto you. Why, what, what could have caused a wave that is still rocking our boats 2,000 years later? Hmm, we'll talk about that more next week.